and welcome to Quick Link Podcast. And today I'm joined by someone I've wanted to interview for quite a while. Um, he's a an icon and kind of a, a I want to say he's a legend of British cyclocross through the years. Um, partly due to his longevity, and for a while he was the only person doing cyclocross. Um, uh, certainly when I was watching it, so it's my pleasure to introduce the multiple national champion, uh, Ian Field. How are you? Oh, thanks very much. It's uh, a little bit over the top for that intro, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to, nice to hear some kind words. Uh, no, I, I mean, it, there's nothing, uh, I'd like to say it, it's all from the heart, like for me, <laughs> I, I was watching, so I, I got into watching Cross about 2011, sort of. Right, okay. So like, you were the only person with a British flag and you know, like, even then, I was having to watch sort of semi-legal links via <laughs> Sporza um, to hear Renat, and I can't remember his co-commenter, uh, Taser, yeah. but it's always those two. And, like, yeah. I find it hard to watch Cyclocross now because it's in English, <laughs> and it's not those voices that I can hear. It's really yeah. weird. I have this discussion quite a lot with people that have, like, maybe come into the sport at a later date and, like... Like even my my girlfriend now is like she only got into kind of cycling through me. We only met kind of like five, six years ago. And so it's like she just thinks cross has always been on the TV and like always in English. And like when you explain to people like, yeah, like if you wanted to watch cross, you had to like search for these dodgy links on, on like the darkest part of the Internet and all the pop up ads you have to get rid of while watching. And it's just like completely blown up since since I was doing it it's but it's so good for the sport yeah and it, like it it was never on demand either so you had to be there <laughs> at the point when it was on and, yeah and otherwise you weren't going to watch it so if you missed that first lap yeah you know it's because sometimes like in, in a lot of races that first lap is the most entertaining lap that you're going to get because everything's happening it's kind of wild what's it like as a rider to be on that first lap because you know there's specialists at it like Lars van der Haar is you know Mr Holshot he gets that first lap going like how does it feel for you to be on that that start line going okay I've got to get a good start because that can make or break a race yeah exactly and I think what people don't understand is how close the racing kind of is and losing 15, 20 seconds on the first lap by getting a bad start and just the whole process of like, if you get into the corner, say in 30th and then it lines out, like suddenly that time gap's huge and you're so closely matched that I couldn't afford to give away 20 seconds on the first lap to anyone um, because after the first lap, more often than not, like tend to ride around almost at the same speed. Um, so yeah, um, one of those good kind of first lap stories was uh, the Koppenberg back in 2013, 14, when I led the first lap, my, cause it always happens on the 1st of November. So it's not always a weekend. My brother was at work and looking for these, one of these links to try and watch it um, while at work. And he missed the first lap. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's like a great story. Like what you were talking about, like everything can happen on the first lap and, that Koppenberg kind of didn't transform things for me, but suddenly like a lot more people who knew who I was and 
yeah, it was just kind of a little bit of fame for for a little while there, leading for leading for the first lap. And I ended up with a decent result, kind of twelfth, I think, maybe after a puncture. I think I was on mm. for a top ten that day. So um, yeah, that was one of those first lap memories that yeah, it's pretty cool. Just one of those opportunities that kind of everyone went right on the Koppenberg and it opened up on the left for me after a good start. And I thought, why not? Like this might be my only chance to, to lead one of these kind of really big races and, and get on the TV and what have you. So, um, yeah, the start was, boy, they still are frenetic and faster than they actually look on TV. Like you probably get to the end of the start straight doing well over 40 K an hour on tubs that can have kind of, 20 psi in them and so you tip it in on the tarmac and the tubs folding underneath you and yeah it's a lot more hectic than what it looks on the tv and i'm always surprised how few crashes there are but when there is a crash at the start it's normally pretty bad just because it's it's kind of like a bunch sprint on the road where but everyone's trying to win it as opposed to kind of like in a road bunch sprint maybe you've got 12 guys trying to win it and the rest is kind of trying to get out of the way at lead outs but yeah it's um one of the exciting points of of cross those those starts and getting a good one can certainly certainly help with the race result. Um, I think the famous Erwin Vivekan quote is, um, "You can't win a race with a good start, but you can certainly lose one with a bad start." So uh, yeah, kind of pass that on to to people I coach now, and it was definitely something that rang a bell with me. Mm. And so, uh, the Koppenberg cross was actually something I was going to mention. Uh, bring yeah. up definitely anyway. Um, <laughs> I actually watched that last night, or certainly oh, okay. that first lap. Um, I managed to find there's a YouTube um, version yeah. where it, it, it's got most of it, I think. Um, yeah. And I have a completely different memory of it um, than actually <laughs> what happened, because in my head, it took them most of that first lap to find the graphic to put your name up, because they're like, oh. where's the British flag? Where is it? Um, but actually, it's like 30 seconds. I think they flash it up quite quick. I was like, oh, yeah that's changed my memory um but yeah like everyone just as you said went one way and you just went oh might as well go up here um what was going through your mind like were you just uh, obviously you said you just took a bit of a chance but then you got like 10 seconds approximately like what's going through your mind just being like (laughs) oh my god i'm at the front like how did that feel for you yeah, it was surreal, really. And like, um, I, like after the race, I thanked uh, Class Van Turnout, who was in second as we came off the cobbles. So I had trained with Sunweb a little bit and I knew Class quite well and yeah, would class him as a friend and what have you. So when we turned off the cobbles, I was leading. He was in second wheel and I took a bit of a risk on the first descent just to try and yeah, you're leading the bike race. You've got to take take some risk. And I think he he said he didn't, but I think he rode like conservatively down that first descent. Um, the Koppenberg traditionally was one of those races I was always good at because of the long climb. And then the technical descent straight after it suited me really well. So I knew it was a race where I could do well. And the start is important there. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to get to the front and get out of trouble, really. But then, yeah, turned off the cobbles in the lead and just didn't want to go crazy because I knew it was actually an opportunity to get a good result. Like, I didn't want to blow myself to pieces on, on the first two laps and then just park up and come 20th. Like, that's 
that's not what I was there to do. Um, so yeah, I kind of rode conservatively and I obviously had good form. Like I went up the climb and the gap continued to grow. And then I actually took a little while for, for a few guys to come across to me sort of thing. And then even when the main group caught me, I was fairly comfortable in the group. Um, like I was on a good day, but the Koppenberg used to be one of those very tactical affairs because it was just straight up and straight down. Sven especially would race it almost as a last lap race. And so try and conserve as much as possible for a last lap attack up the steep kind of off-road section. Um, so yeah, I, I knew perhaps they would sit up and, and let me go a little bit, which they did. Um, but I remember um, the crowd just being like, not silent, but like it wasn't the usual first lap roar. I think everyone was just a little bit like, who's this guy? Who's this chancer? Um, and I know my mechanic at the time, like could hear my name, like coming over the tannoy from the commentators at, at the actual race. And he was like, his, his initial thought was, oh, he's crashed or he's had a problem. Um, and then someone turned to him and he was like, oh, he's leading. <laughs> like, and then obviously came around the top, top through the pits in the lead and, uh, yeah, just one of those memories that I think has stick with me for forever. And uh, I think a lot of people bring it up when they meet me. And I know after the race, a lot of people um, came up to me and kind of shook my hand and said, well, Dan, I wanted a photo and what have you. And then even like years later, um, I turned up at the at the gate to race again and said who I was. And then someone, the, one of the marshals was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to lead again today sort of thing. And like <laughs> took me to my parking space and everything. And it was just like, it was one of those. I live, I used to live kind of very close to the, the event. I knew some of the people that helped organize it. And so it was just a special race for, yeah, a, for a lot of reasons, basically. Yeah. I was going to ask because I was looking through some of your results last night. Um, and I noticed Coppenberg cross like <laughs> had come up a lot. Yeah. Both in terms of good placings, but equally, like, and, and certainly as it looks like you've kind of limited your racing in recent years, the Koppenberg is still there. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that because you, people are still inviting you or you just go, that's the race I still want to do? If I'm going to go to Belgium for one day, that's the day I make it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it started off. Um, the first ever Koppenberg I did, um, my car broke down at sign-on on how to get towed into the car park. And it was the year that Sven Lars Boom and Niels Albert were racing at the front, the one where they basically all crashed on the final descent and Sven like dislocated his finger but ended up winning and i remember him like going across the line and he was like trying to put his finger back in or something weird so that was the first year i ever did it and it was like crazy muddy and loads of people pulled out um but i managed to just get round and didn't get lapped by sven i remember like racing across the final field because i could hear like the roar of him coming down the descent so i was like well he's not too far behind um and i managed to get round and I don't know, I finished like 22nd, 23rd or something like that. Um, and the organiser um, contacted me afterwards and sent me like 100 euros for finishing just because he was like thankful that, yeah, I hadn't pulled out and like a lot of people had because the conditions were so bad. And so I think from that point on, like he always offered me good start money from that point on. Um, and so, yeah, it was one of them that 
suited me kind of i don't know just kind of a lot of things aligned to to make that a special race for me um and yeah like you say in previous like the last couple of years really that yeah haven't raced so much in belgium that that was one that yeah was still on the list of one to tick off even though i don't particularly like the new course <laughs> um you kind of touched on something that is i find sort of certainly fascinating about like how you get paid start money and there's kind of the races are almost like a, an invite sort of system where or seemingly to me yeah. um, like how does it work because there's obviously there's the it used to be gva and is it the x2o now um yeah. there's that competition there's the super prestige and obviously the world cups like yeah how does entry into them work especially for you as a brit in a sport that is just so dominated by the low countries uh, by yeah. belgium and the netherlands where you know it, to me it, it it seems difficult to kind of break in as a a non-belgian or a non-dutch yeah i think this is one of the big changes we've seen over the years so when i first moved to belgium what we're we talking like 2008 2009 sort of time um there was basically just one guy who did all of the start contracts for the riders um that progressed to like a couple of people and he literally used to walk around with a bag like i hate to think how much money he had in this bag and he'd literally just like hand out brown envelopes with start money into you um and you would literally just have to go through him you'd tell him what races you wanted to do he would come back with like oh i've got you in this one or this organizer wants you here sort of thing and you'd say yes or no to it sort of thing and then it progressed to kind of like um like a website that you would do it through um and then things started to get a bit more kind of taxed shall we say so you had to like uh, everything was a bit more above board um and everything paid via bank transfer and you'd have to pay the taxes on it etc um up till just recently and then you could get series contracts so you'd be guaranteed start money at every super prestige or every gva um and then you'd get individual races along the way but just recently apparently the start money is basically just completely dried up um there isn't really much to be had at all whereas i think the first few seasons i was out there riding for hargroves kind of he was paying me to ride but it certainly wasn't a lot of money and so the start money was kind of like a big chunk of kind of what I was making at the time. So, um, yeah, even as kind of second, third year out there, really, I was getting like 300 euros for every race. So 600 euros in a weekend was, was actually pretty good. Um, you could, yeah, turn up and make some decent money through the winter actually. And then the world cups, um, was originally start money. And then they took all of the start money and put it into the prize pot um which kind of worked out in the end um and to receive money as a man like you only had to top 50 to get like 300 euros so oh, it was yeah. it was pretty cushy um i mean sometimes there was only like 45 stars <laughs> <laughs> um but you got rewarded if you did a good ride so yeah the the higher you got the more money you made that weekend but yeah i've heard recently there isn't really much start money to be had at all i think van der Poel and Bout and maybe tom uh, are getting paid decent money still but i heard like even uh, two three seasons ago like guys like 
Dieter van Turnout, Tom Hewson, those kind of riders were even struggling to get start money. So um, that's one big change we've seen over the years. Mm, that's quite interesting because, again, like you said, you, you came over with, with Hargroves and like they're just, a, a, as far as I can tell, certainly a smallish British team and you're the only person really who did cross at the time. Like, how did you find that? Because certainly... Again, it comes across that there's a lot of expertise that is brought to it by pit crews and people who've been there and done it. And they know like, oh, you need this sort of tire and this pressure to do well here. And you're going across with yeah. kind of, you know, wet behind the ears. As a, as, again, as a Brit in Belgium, just like not having such level of expertise. And certainly I, I would be doubtful that the support would have the same expertise that you know, the BKCP team of um, Albert and uh, Kralan of uh, Sven Nys at the time, they'd have years of experience. It just, you wouldn't have. Like, how yeah. do you think that made it? I assume it did make a difference, but like how big of a difference does it make? I would say it probably took three, four years of just learning, like just going there, doing it. Um and yeah, like you said, it was it was jumping into the deep end. Like I had some really good kind of mentors and helpers around me um, from my days on British cycling. Simon Burney was a big influence on me actually going down the cross route to begin with. And so, yeah, he, he has a lot of knowledge um, for, about cross. Pete Hargroves raced um, cross to a good level. So he kind of knew what I needed to succeed in terms of equipment and like the backing so he was able to provide that which i'm forever grateful for and kind of moving to belgium and so joss and tim so famous for owning houses in belgium that a lot of brits have lived at and stayed at so i stayed in one of their houses for years and years and kind of steph wyman was kind of ran the house for them a little bit where cross riders and road riders would come and stay and so Steph and Helen Wyman, uh, living with them, like they they knew an awful lot because um, I'd been doing it for like three or four years before me sort of thing. And we also had help from local Belgians who had raced to kind of very high levels themselves. So one of the mechanics that used to help us out was like um, a, a Belgian junior who raced at, raced at Worlds, who later went on he was Bartle Vellens's mechanic and he mechanics for like Lotta Sudel now and everything so there was lots of people around us that could help but for me it was all the stuff like just finding the right pressures the sand riding like oh my god like <laughs> we'd never experienced riding in sand before and the only real chance that I got was kind of riding around Coxider once a year and then when I moved to Belgium suddenly I could go training in the sand and so there was just so much to learn I feel like probably one of the last people really to kind of pack up their car and just head to Belgium kind of with no real knowledge about the sport at all it, like at the time you think you know what you're doing but looking back like I was just like driving a car about the headlights on sort of thing just bumping into stuff and getting around it and moving on to the next thing but yeah it was three four years of just learning what I needed to do in terms of training and the equipment and the skills and and everything really and I always say to people like 
I would be so much better knowing everything I know now. If I could go back and have another go, like I would, I would be a higher level. So it's uh, there's so much to learn and like the intricacies of cross, like the equipment and all the training and everything. So yeah, it was it was tough to begin with, but I was surrounded by good people who yeah helped me as much as they could really, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, you mentioned Simon Burney who. Had- I believe is involved with the UCI. Um, I think I've interacted with him a few times. He, right. he seems like a thoroughly nice guy. And you said he got, yeah. got you into cross. Like how, how did you get into cross? Like, what was that like? <laughs> so originally uh, cross was the first form of, of racing I ever did. So um, there was a friend at school that wanted to do the British schools association cyclocross. Um, and not, I'd never heard of cycle cyclocross and had never really, Oh, I'd never done a race before, but I enjoyed riding my mountain bike in the woods with my older brother and building jumps and just having fun on our bikes and doing charity rides and that kind of thing. And we'd actually been to watch a mountain bike race one summer. And then that winter was when uh, he's now, now my best friend kind of, went into a school assembly and did an assembly on cyclocross and tried to get a team together. Um, and it literally went from there, but then obviously I did like road, um, as a youth and junior and then went on to mountain biking as well. So I was on the mountain bike plan for British cycling, uh, for the under 23s and Simon Burney ran that program at the time. And I think first and foremost, his love was always cyclocross. So he would allow us to race a lot of cross and kind of, gave a lot of backing to the riders on the mountain bike program who wanted to do cross um and so it was one of them when my time came to an end on british cycling it was like what am i going to do now um i did one year of professional mountain biking for a cypriot team and then it kind of came to that winter and i literally went around simon's house and we were just like oh what what am i going to do now sort of thing and i was just like oh I just really want to give cross a crack because I'd had some good results as an under 23 riding on the plan um, at cross. And so he literally phoned Pete Hargroves and just said, do you want to give this kid a ride? And he was like, Oh, what does he want sort of thing? And the first year I was just like, I just want some bikes and kit. And it went from there. And yeah, it's, uh, I think that first winter I got Pete, his first ever national trophy elite win. Um, and, and it kind of just built year on year, really the, like the relationship and, kind of my deal got bigger and bigger and yeah it just went from there it just I think first and foremost my love was always cross and so when the opportunity arose I just went back to it yeah uh, that sounds incredible and obviously <laughs> yeah winning national trophies is is great uh but I assume it's a huge jump from there to writing things like super prestige <laughs> and world cup because you know just they seem next level um yeah and certainly thinking back to your time doing a lot more European races, like I know we talk, talked about Coppenberg Cross. Is there any others that you were like, I really like this course? Because certainly as a spectator, yeah. I really enjoy watching Zonhoven. I think that's the oh, one. Okay. I hope it is the yeah. one with the like the mega death drop in the sand. Yeah. Um, Cause it just looks wild and, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> terrifying yeah. in a way. Um, it's funny you mentioned that one that that would definitely be up there with my all-time favorite course so i think koppenberg the old course would be number one zonhoven would be number two um i remember the first year it was held as a race we went there 
and everyone was just like what the hell is this this is crazy and i was just like this is brilliant <laughs> and it was is like super hard like i think one of the things that doesn't perhaps is is portrayed more now with the different camera angles and and everything like the physicality of that course with the long run-ups and even away from the main sand pit the course is really quite hilly it's a really tough course um which i used to enjoy and i think I had a couple of kind of top 15s there um, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed that course, but like the difference in courses between like say that and national trophies at the time were just, just insane. And I think I'd won national trophies and kind of at the time, like I could turn up and win a national trophy if I wanted to. There wasn't, there wasn't the motivation there to ride them all that much and I, I always said like I just wanted to see how good I could get in the sport and I think everyone knew at the time you just had to go to Belgium and jump in at the deep end and and see how good you could be at it really and so that's what I did I just moved there there was there was a couple of seasons where I, I didn't even come back to race a single national trophy really um, which yeah, grateful for Hargroves, obviously an English sponsor kind of letting me do that, just go off to Belgium for the entire winter and, and try and try and get results out there. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big step up. But, um, yeah, it was one of those you, you have to do it, really. Um, I think it, things are beginning to change now where the level in the UK is so high that you don't necessarily need to go there. But I think everyone still does because it's the the home of cross really um still first and foremost in belgium but yeah it, it's a big learning experience and uh yeah it was certainly tough at the time to to step up from kind of the the trophy level back then to to super prestiges and such like yeah there's a couple of things that came to mind while you were talking that i want to touch on um so firstly you said like you wanted to see how far you could get in in the sport of cyclocross like what do you sort of view as successful for you like it, I guess thinking back to when Simon's like oh yeah just uh yeah. go on this Hargroves team like going back to then like what would you have qualified as successful and then as a follow-up like yeah. were you successful yeah 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 I think um at the time like British elite males would struggle to finish the race like they were pulled out they were lapped out and so that very first season I went to Belgium I saw a successful race as not being lapped um, yeah. and first season I went there I don't think I was lapped out and like already kind of that was kind of quite a big thing and then each year I'd be like oh I want to get a top 20 or I want to get a top 15 um I want to get a top 10 that kind of thing um and I think pretty much each season I ticked off what I wanted to do so one of my goals was always a top 15 at a world cup and I got a couple of those along the way one of the goals was just to get a top 10 in in any race abroad and I got a sixth um at Nacht van Warden one year um and so i think looking back what would have been successful successful would have been hitting my targets for the season because that was my only real way of kind of like 
computing it like yeah i was never going to win i was probably never going to podium which i never did um and so setting those goals of top 10s top 15s um that was that was how i classed success really and yeah looking back i think the, the biggest race of my career was obviously Milton Keynes, like the only ever UK World Cup to take place and to come away with 12th in front of a home crowd was just ridiculous. Like I think describe it as like the closest you'll ever get to being a premiership footballer. Like, I don't know how many people were there, like maybe like 20,000 pretty much all shouting your name, like all knowing who you were like friends and family who had never been to a cross race sort of thing were there and to actually get it right on the day like the chances of that are so slim in cycling especially in such tricky conditions and and to pull off at the time that was my best world cup results so um i think days like that made made a success and i think yeah topping that with an 11th in america at a world cup um i think i think i pretty much got out everything I could have got out in terms of how much talent I had <laughs> um, so uh, yeah I, I would see and say kind of I had a successful career perhaps I could have been better um, with better knowledge but I think at the time I was doing all I could so yeah kind of no regrets really. Yeah um, so I've got two last questions then because um, I know time's trying to beat us uh, <laughs> as is typical with my interviews. Um, yeah. Firstly is like obviously there was Roger Hammond who came before you. Um, yeah. He was a, a, I believe, junior world champion or yeah. junior podium, if nothing else. Uh, and obviously now we've got Tom Pidcock, who's world champion. Like, how yeah. do you view your place in the sort of history of British cyclocross? Um, I mean, yeah, Roger was obviously junior world champion and he had an 11th foot at Worlds, I think, at Zolder, um, but didn't race it kind of as his main thing. Um, and I think I see my place in in cross history as like hopefully someone that showed riders like Tom and the new generation that cross is a brilliant way to start your career and you can be just a cross rider. I remember, so I, I used to live in Yorkshire and, and ride with Tom on the local stuff. And his dad once came up to me and said, what do you think Tom should do? Should he stick with cross? And I said, absolutely. Yes. Like it is by far and away the easiest way to make a name for yourself in Belgium and road teams will take you because they know how good cross riders are in terms of talent. Um, so yeah, in one way I shot myself in the foot by telling him to continue <laughs> with cross, but it's been awesome to see him kind of rise and yeah I think I see what I did as maybe almost keeping keeping the fire burning in terms of cross because I think there was a chance that it was completely going out in terms of kind of the male side of cross riding in the UK and yeah just yeah giving people hope that they they could compete at that level I guess um, but yeah it was I'm glad it's not as hard now for the next generation. That's <laughs> put it that way. And that's a really good way to be. Um, so what's next for you then? Um, so early 2020, I started my own coaching company. So um, yeah, trying to take all the information that I learned over the years and, and pass that on in terms of kind of the technical side of things, plus kind of all the physical training you can do for cross and, it really just 
took off really with kind of people interested in the cross specific training but also I think what we've seen over the years with especially Wout and van der Poel the crossover between training for cross can have really good results on the road and so kind of the road side of things has really kicked off with the coaching and I, I helped some guys and girls to really high level on the road actually um, and yeah the business is just growing I'm taking on some new coaches just because I can't keep up with the demand so it's been really good um, got a baby on the way the end of September so life's going to change uh, a lot then last winter I started commentating for GCN uh, that went down really well uh, we're just trying to pass on kind of everything I learned over the years from doing what I did trying to pass that on to as many people as possible really through the commentating and through the coaching and hopefully adding adding to their entertainment of, of enjoying the sport that I love so much yeah it's incredible like I completely echo everything you said about like how amazing cross is um yeah. both as a spectacle and like to develop riders um certainly yeah. one thing I'm very cognizant is like cyclocross is great because it's off-road which means <laughs> you know it's closed circuits yeah not a lot can go wrong and yeah like certainly uh, as a parent like from a safety point of view that's great yeah. because you know <laughs> it, it just keeps your children off the road and you know somewhere that cars can't get and i think that's great um yeah yeah especially in the uk at the moment like training on the road like i had this conversation with someone the other day i don't know whether it's because i'm getting older but i definitely feel like the roads are becoming more dangerous to ride on um mm. i don't know whether i was young and naive to it but i definitely feel like there's more close passes in general more angry people out on the roads and so yeah having that excuse to get off road and train i think is brilliant and yeah the safe environment of a cross race is just yeah, it just develops an all-round bike rider, which is why when they decide to go mountain biking or go onto the road, they just can handle it. It's it's such a good way to get into the sport of, of cycling. Yeah, well, thank you so much, um, both for, for your time today and for <laughs> keeping that fire burning. Um, <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, hopefully speak again soon. Yeah, absolutely. I lived in Germany for a bit. Um, right. And I didn't have much um, in terms of, we didn't have a TV, um, but yeah. I had the internet. And that was the 2012-13 uh, season. Okay, yeah. And I remember sitting on my like little sofa and just finding <laughs> those streams and being able to watch. And yeah. having cyclocross in the winter to keep me going yeah. like yeah. was huge. And yeah, I, re- yeah. I just always remember looking for sort of the, the yellow and uh, reds of the shorts yeah. and, and <laughs> the championship bands trying to see where you were. Um, yeah, yeah. And because of how TV production works, like usually it's the first lap that I got the chance yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> so it made it really tricky. Yeah. Um, I find it amazing how many people have a similar story and how pe- how many people were kind of watching back then. Like I had no idea that people were like, desperately searching out these links and, and watching it oh, so yeah. it's pretty cool to like come across people that that were interested at the time and yeah kind of kept that kind of cross interest going by having a brit in the race even though i wasn't always at the front it was yeah it's amazing how many people was kind of interested because there was at least a brit in there somewhere yeah 
yeah, exactly. Um, it was amazing. So, yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Quicklink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at Quicklink Pod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. Share the show, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.